I invite you to open your Bibles now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, starting today right where we left off in verse 47. While you're turning there, I want to give you a preview of my pastoral report that I'll be giving at the vision meeting after lunch today. I'm going to sum up in my report, I'm going to sum up 2019 with one word, and I'm going to urge us into 2020 with one word. So the word for 2019 is faithful. I am so pastorally proud to shepherd this church. I believe that we were faithful to the Lord in the last year, and I'm grateful. Last year I emphasized, keep it up. We're on the right track, let's not get off of it. And I think the word for 2020 should be bold, boldness. We need to focus our efforts on bold evangelism, daring to share the good news about Jesus with those who need to hear it. Our new Hide the Word verse reminds us of our mission, making disciples among all nations. And the first thing they need to become a disciple is to hear the gospel. And how will they do that if we are not bold enough to speak. So you're going to be hearing that word bold from me in 2020 a lot. I'm praying for holy boldness for us in 2020. So I'll talk more about that in my report today after lunch, and I'm sure a lot more from the pulpit this year. Have you found Matthew 26, 47? Do you remember where we left Jesus last week? A lot of you couldn't make it last week because of the weather. We left Jesus just getting up from being face down in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has eaten the Passover meal with his disciples and he made it all about himself. And at that meal he predicted that one of the twelve would betray him. We know who it is, Judas. And he has predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crows. And he has predicted that all of his disciples, all 12 of them, would abandon him. And then he has taken them to this garden called Gethsemane, and he's gotten down on his face to pray and pray and pray. And we saw last week he was so overwhelmed in prayer that he almost died. Jesus asked his father to take away this cup, this excruciating experience of suffering the wrath of God. But on his face, he submitted to his father's will. He said, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he said it again, and then he said it again. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. And then Jesus rose up from face down, and he faced his betrayer. He faced the onslaught of what was to come. He faced the mob that was coming up the hillside. He said, rise, let us go up. Here comes my betrayer. That's where we left Jesus in verse 46. Today I just want to try to get to verse 56. I know that's little more than a paragraph, but time has slowed down as we've come into this last week and into these last 24 hours, and so we're going to slow down too. These tragic events are so important for our lives today. They make all the difference. They, they shape our reality so they are worthy of intense examination and concentration. But I warn you, 
it just gets worse and worse. As you read these, as you slow down and you read this, it just gets more awful and more terrible to see what happens to our Lord. In fact, here is where it really starts to get bad because here is where the actual injustice begins to kick in and build. Up until now, it's all just been swirling. It's been coming. It's been swirling around Him. It's on the way, but now it's right here in the garden. In all of its ugliness, all of its depravity, all of its turpitude. And we're going to feel it. We need to feel how terrible this is. But at the same time, we also need to see and feel how Jesus is choosing it. Josh prayed it this morning in his prayer. Did you hear that? He knew what was going to happen. And he walked. He didn't didn't back into it. He didn't stumble into it. He walked right into it. He walked right to it. He faced it. He chose it. It seems in some strange way, he seems to be orchestrating it all. Nothing happens in this story without Jesus' permission. He's choosing this. Today in verse 54, Jesus says that all of this, all this terrible stuff has to happen. He says it must happen in this way. So that's our title for this message this morning. It must happen in this way. If you have the King James Version in front of you, it just simply says, thus it must be. Everything about this story is wrong. This story is full of darkness and evil, injustice, wickedness, depravity, twistedness, brokenness. Nothing is the way it should be, and yet Jesus says it must happen this way. God has willed it. And Jesus is committed to carrying out God's will, carrying out God's plan. That's what he has said flat on his face in the garden. Jesus has asked his question, is there another way? And he's received the answer, it's no. No, this is the way, this is the plan. And so Jesus has bowed his head and he said, your will be done. And now he's carrying it out. Let's pray together and then begin to see it all unfold. Let's pray. Lord, we've sung some happy things. I love wonderful grace of Jesus. My mom would sing that around the house when she did housework, laundry. This gives me so much joy. We've just sung about how good it's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth when we cross the Jordan and we're with you forever in your home. But what it took for us to get there. It took the darkness of this night. It took Jesus' submission. It took Jesus' choice to carry out this plan. That it must happen in this way. It's so terrible. Help us to see it. Help us to to hear it. Help us to feel it. Help us to know it. So that we give you the proper amount of glory. 
so that we're thankful for what it takes for us to have this salvation. So we see who you really are. And so we know just how blessed we are with the wonderful grace of our Lord. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Matthew 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, he is Jesus saying, let's get up, let's go, let's face it. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Can you imagine? Jesus has just gotten up from prayer in the middle of the night. This is probably after midnight now. So we would call it Friday. For them it's the same day because their days began at sundown. But it's the beginning of what we call Good Friday. And it's dark in every way. But Judas has found Jesus in the dark. We don't know exactly how. Perhaps Judas went to the upper room first with his crowd. And and he found that Jesus and his disciples had left. Maybe the owner told Judas where they had gone. He said, oh, I need to catch up to him. Which way did they go? We don't know. Maybe he just knows Jesus is going to have prayer in Gethsemane. That's where we always meet. That's where we'll go next. Judas finds him in the dark. And he brings a mob with him. They got swords. They got clubs. They are scared. They will not take no for an answer. They are coming in force. This is the SWAT team, right? All, all fully clad in the black with a ram for battering down the door. They're all armed to the teeth and they're coming after Jesus. They're coming not as a mob mentality, but with authority. They are sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. There's a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. Those men that Jesus has been sparring with all week in the temple courts, they have sent their lackeys to come and collect Jesus in the middle of the night. There are Roman soldiers sprinkled in there too. The Gospel of John tells us that. They are probably there from Pilate to make sure that Jesus comes along quietly. They're all afraid of him. But the most tragic thing in the whole sentence is how Jesus, how Matthew calls Judas, what? One of the twelve. He keeps saying that. He keeps describing Jesus as one of the twelve, one of the twelve, one of the twelve. Just, just like Jesus had predicted in verses 23 and 24, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Do you see the tension here? Do you feel it? Judas is choosing this. The, the chief priests and the, te- and the teachers of the law are choosing this. Pilate is choosing this. But mysteriously, God is also choosing this. It must happen in this way. One of the twelve. Jesus chose to be hypocritically betrayed with a kiss. Look at verse 48. Now the betrayer, 
What a word. He's not called one of the twelve here. He's called the betrayer. The betrayer had arranged a signal with them, with the crowd. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Now, you see, they did not have facial recognition software. They didn't have photographs. A lot of people didn't know what Jesus looked like, even though he was a celebrity. You didn't get up close to him. You didn't have his name on the front of all the magazines. Which one is Jesus? If you didn't personally know which one was Jesus, he might get away. I'm sure they sent some people kind of up around this way and some people up around this way to make sure he doesn't escape. This is why Judas has paid the big bucks, the 30 pieces of silver. To lead them right to where he is, no fuss, no mess, and grab him. How does he do it? He does it with a kiss. Verse 49, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Josh? I asked Josh a couple seconds ago if he would be okay with being kissed by a man. He said, I have to ask my wife. Katie has signed off on this. This is the height of hypocrisy, is it not? What could be more intimate than a kiss? What what would say, I respect you. I admire you. We are like this. Jesus hates fakeness. We've seen that again and again in the Gospel of Matthew. When you're, you're one thing on the outside, but you're another thing on the inside. This is the height of hypocrisy. Kissing Jesus while stabbing Him in the back. Calling Him Rabbi, Teacher, while doing the absolute opposite of following Him. And we should all stop and examine our hearts to see where we have fallen into hypocrisy ourselves. Don't look at Judas and say, I would never do that. Look at Judas and say, but for the grace of God, there go I. And also say, Lord, keep me from hypocrisy. The worst thing in the world is to be a fake disciple. It's much better to just be a pagan than to be a fake disciple. To pretend, to pretend, to put on the clothes, to to talk the talk, and yet not have it inside. There was never a more fake disciple than Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. Is there anything in your life where you are acting all lovey towards Jesus on the outside, but you're actually masking something evil against Him on the end? Repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Judas was so close to the kingdom. He's walked around with the kingdom for three years. He's kissing the king, but he's outside the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Don't miss the kingdom. Especially don't miss it playing kingdom without being kingdom. But what I really want you to see is that Jesus doesn't resist him. Josh could have given me the shove. And if Josh shoves you, you're, out, you're in the next room. You ever see the guns on that guy? <clears throat> Jesus could have resisted, resisted Judas. No, that's close enough. That's not what he does. Don't focus too long on Judas. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What does Jesus do in this situation? Verse 50, Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Jesus is choosing this. The Greek there is very short. It basically just says, what you came for. So some translations take it as a question. Why did you come here? Why did you come? But it's probably more of just a statement. I know why you are here. Go ahead and get it over with. Jesus could have stepped back and not taken that monstrous kiss. Jesus could have walked away from the whole thing at any point. Instead, he leans into it and he receives that kiss. And he says, okay, let's get on with it. You see how he's in charge? Because he knows that it must happen in this way. He's predicted it. And the Bible has predicted it. Remember Psalm 41 from last Palm Sunday? The song of the sick king? King David saying, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It must happen in this way. It happened to David. It's going to happen to great David's greater son, Jesus. So Jesus chooses it. And he chooses to be unjustly arrested without resistance. Listen to these terrible words in verse 50. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. They put their hands on Jesus. They had no right. They laid hands on our Lord. You have the right to remain silent. He's done nothing wrong. He deserves all of their allegiance. They should all be doing this to Jesus. But that's not what they're doing. They're grabbing him. They're saying, I arrest you in the name of the chief priest. They're saying, come with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be arrested. And in fact, he's choosing it. Jesus is allowing this injustice to occur. 
He allows the kiss, and now he allows the arrest. Now, one of his disciples does not allow it. Look at verse 51. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Guess which one it was? Three, yeah, that's right. Three guesses, two of them don't count. It's Peter. The Gospel of John tells us that. It's Peter. Apparently, Peter was packing heat. And he told Jesus he wasn't going to deny him. So he probably goes to chop off the guy's head. And the guy moves, and all he loses is an ear. By the way, John tells us that this guy's name was Malchus, servant of the high priest. And Luke tells us that Jesus picked up that ear, put it back on him, and healed it. That'd be a story to tell your wife when you got back home from arresting Jesus. But Matthew doesn't tell us any of that. Matthew focuses us on Jesus, so we should stay focused on Jesus. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I don't need your little sword. That's completely unnecessary, Peter. You don't have to defend Jesus with violence. Violence like that just begets more violence. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was teaching full-blown pacifism here. He says to put that sword back in its place, not throw it away. There is a proper place for swords. But friends, Jesus doesn't need our swords. And once you start pulling a sword, get ready to use a lot more swords. And you know how that will probably end badly. Jesus doesn't need our swords. Listen to him again in verse 53. Do you think? I cannot call, it's a rebuke, isn't it? So strong. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Do you know how many angels that is? I used to think that it was 10,000 angels. 10,000 flaming, sword-wielding, powerful, supernatural soldiers from another world. But it's not. It's more like 72,000. A Roman legion had about 6,000 soldiers in it. So if there's 12 of them, and I did this math on a calculator so you can trust it, that's 72,000 angels. Jesus says, if I just snap, if I just ask for it, my father could have one legion for all 11 of you remaining disciples and one for myself. And this crowd would be nothing. but I'm not going to ask for it. He's not going to ask for that because he's chosen the cup instead of the sword. He isn't going to bring the kingdom our way. He's going to do it God's way. And God's way at this moment was through non-resistance. God's way at this moment was through submission. God's way at this moment was through martyrdom god's way at this moment was through suffering do you think i cannot call on my father he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels i could he would verse 54 but how then 
would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? We're not going to go there. Now this is, there's one of Matthew's favorite words right there. Do you see it? Which word am I talking about? Fulfill. Remember that? Matthew loves that word fulfill. He uses it over and over again in his gospel. I think he loves it because Jesus loved it. He used it again and again. And remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17? Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. God has made some promises, and Jesus is here to see that they are kept. God has made some predictions in the Old Testament, and Jesus, here to see, Jesus is here to see that they are fulfilled. Which passages? Psalm 41, Psalm 55, Psalm 69, Psalm 22, Micah 5, Genesis 49, Genesis 3.15. I could go on and on and on. We're going to hear echoes of these passages over the next several weeks as this story just gets worse and worse, terrible and more terrible, awful and more awful, and nothing clearer than Isaiah 53. Josh prayed it this morning. He was oppressed and afflicted and arrested, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It must happen in this way, so the scriptures may be fulfilled. He didn't open his mouth and call in the 12,000 angel air support. The 72,000 angel air support. Instead, Jesus is saying, your will be done. And Isaiah says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Your will be done. Your will be done. Everything about this story is wrong, and yet it must happen in this way. God is planning to use this great injustice to make everything right in the universe. So Jesus does not resist. Now he does point out how unjust it really is. Look at verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, <laughs> Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. Every day, unarmed. Every day, in plain sight. Every day, no threats. Every day, no swords. Every day, no crimes committed. Every day, just sitting there and teaching away. But you slink in here at nighttime. It's foolish and evil and wrong. Verse 55. But... This has all taken place, even your evilness, that the writings of the prophets might be, there it is again, fulfilled. It must happen in this way. Fulfilled. That's the second to last time Matthew will use that word in this gospel. There's, there'll be one more. Friends, you and I should be so glad that Jesus chose this. We should be horrified that he had to. Because there's nothing good here. 
This is an evil injustice, and it's just going to get worse. But Jesus chose it to do the Father's will, to carry out the Father's plan, and to keep the Father's promises. And that gives us great confidence that God will always keep his promises. Because if he will, if he will go to these links to make sure that his promises are fulfilled, sparing not his own son, then how much more will he do everything else he promised? Let me say one word about boldness in 2020. In Acts chapter 4, the early church had a prayer meeting because they were being persecuted for their faith. And they had to pray about what to do next. But they didn't just pray that God would stop the persecution. They prayed that God would do that. But they also prayed that God would enable them to share the gospel with boldness. Listen to the reason why they prayed that way. Listen to this. Acts chapter 4 verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke, by, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? That's Psalm 2. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. In other words, everything we just read. Now listen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It must happen in this way. Now listen to how they pray because of that. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were able to be bold because they believed that God was sovereign. That, that all of these things that happened to Jesus didn't just happen. They were a part of God's plan that Jesus was choosing to enact. So you and I can be bold here in 2020 as well. Because we know these things must have happened in this way. Of course, the disciples weren't very bold on this day. Instead, they fled. Verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus chose to be painfully deserted to fulfill God's word. He could have kept them there if he tried. He might have said, stop, guys. Nope, come back here. He could have compelled them. But instead, he had just said that all this had taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled, just like Zechariah 13, 7. I'll strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So I'm sure it hurt him. Jesus wanted them to be close to him when he prayed. I'm sure he would have loved some company during his trial. But instead, he was abandoned and alone, just like he said he would be. But at least he knew there was a reason for it. In fact, he was choosing the reason. He was choosing to fulfill the word of the Lord. He was seeing to it that the scriptures were fulfilled that say that it must happen in this way. Praise Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody here who has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. That they would do so right now that they would see what Jesus chose to go through so that we could be saved. Betrayed, 
arrested, abandoned. And we know what happens next. He's going to be crucified. He did that for us so that, so that we don't have to perish, but we can have eternal life by repenting of our sins and trusting in the Savior. Would you do that, Lord, in somebody's heart even right now, right here in this room? We pray it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for our hearts that we would not be fakes. We'd not go through the motions. We'd not get all cleaned up on the outside. We would not, so to speak, kiss Jesus, but on the inside be betraying him. Lord, make us real from the inside out. Change us, Lord. Conform us to the image of Christ. Thank you for what he did for us. Thank you that there was a grand plan. And thank you that it shapes everything for us today. We pray this in his name. Glory to it. Amen.